Hi, my name is Noah Suderman, and my dad is a Patreon supporter of Third Floor Wars. I listen to Tabletop Talk because of the hard work and effort that Craig Shipman puts into every podcast so that his viewers can become better Malfoy players. I got taxidermists flying down the board, Wong shooting his own people in the butt, basically, you know, telling him to get going and doing his dirtily, dastly deeds. And uh, you had to learn that balance. Howdy, friends. We've got a fun episode today. We're going to do a deep dive into the Bayou Master Wong. And my guest is Chris Short, uh, which, who comes out of the um, Midwest area there. And uh, boy, his enthusiasm for not only Wong, but the game is pretty infectious. Uh, he has some really interesting uh, core crew choices, and he gives us a lot of flexibility on how to play Wong. Uh, I was very interested to find out that uh, he started playing Wong one way and then has now found himself with a completely different play style, but with the same crew. Enjoy. Playing a tabletop strategy game allows you to unplug and test your skills against friends. Every week, Third Floor Wars delivers useful strategies, discussions, battle reports, and reviews to tabletop games like Malifaux. If you want to get better at the games you already play or discover the games other people are playing, you are in the right place. Craig and Ray welcome you to the third floor and the Tabletop Talk broadcast. Craig here on the third floor. Today we're going to do a deep dive into the Bayou Master Wong and how the Whizbang crew works in Malifaux 3rd Edition. Now, our guest today is Chris Short, and Chris is coming out of uh, Findlay, Ohio, and he's been playing Malifaux for a while, since uh, 2E Beta. Uh, now, uh, Chris, I understand you used to be a Thunders player, uh, but now you are playing around with Bayou. So first off, welcome to the third floor. Thanks for having me, Craig. Uh, so the first question I always ask everybody is uh, kind of how did you get into uh, Malifaux? How did you find Malifaux? Oh, I had a buddy that um, tried pulling me away from uh, 40K. Of course, it's a common thing, either fantasy or 40K, what brings us all. It's kind of the gateway drug into tabletop minis. But uh, I had a buddy get me into Malifaux and really didn't want anything to do with it. You know, I like the big war games. But uh, ever since I uh, got the card mechanic, I couldn't go back to dice. So I'm officially, <laughs> I'm officially out of Games Workshop's uh, stronghold. And um, pure foe right now. Yeah, it's tough, isn't it, man? Once you kind of get that that agency and the power that the control hand uh, gives you, uh, it is tough to go back and into dice. Um, one of the games that I've pre-ordered uh, and I'm excited to play because I t- tested it out at Nova is the new uh, Crisis Protocol, the new Marvel game. And I mean, it's got everything. It's a skirmish game. It's you know, it's got Marvel superheroes. I can't wait to paint the models and stuff. But uh, I'm not looking forward to throwing dice again. No, I don't blame you. <laughs> All right. So what we're going to do today is we're going to focus on uh, the Whizbang crew. And I want to kind of find out from Chris how he plays Wong, um, how he kind of uh, builds the crew. Uh, I want to find out how the crew plays in general. I want to find out if there's any certain uh, tech pieces uh, in the crew that he brings in based off of what the pool uh, has or maybe what the opponent declares. And uh, we'll finish off by talking how to uh, 
go against a whiz bang crew. So for those of you that play against Bayou and uh, someone puts Wong on the table, this will hopefully give you some ideas of um, how you can uh, mitigate it. So, Chris, let's assume that uh, someone listening here uh, is not familiar at all with Wong. Uh, they've never seen him on the table before, and they're either thinking about using him or maybe they're afraid they're going to be facing him. What kind of master uh, would you consider Wong to be? Well, in 2E, he was mainly known for his blast, and uh, they kind of took that away, not by kind of, but they just switched it from a blast to actually shockwaves. So, yeah. So he basically is throwing grenades. He doesn't have to target. So that gets around a lot of, um, I would say, stealth and um, a lot of defensive tech that would stop people from getting targeted. So he mainly likes to, uh, I don't know, he, he's a very surprising master. If, if you don't know what he's doing, it's kind of the old mentality is uh, let him... Uh, beat you around a little bit. And then the second time you play him, you kind of know what to look forward to. Yeah. And I think that's true of a lot of, um, a lot of the keywords that are out there. Um, but uh, for him to be moved over to a shockwave master it is to your point, a really big deal because um, at, when you look at abilities, defensive abilities, either given, you know, by terrain or that are built into the model um, it's all, you know, when you're targeted. Um, and the other thing that I've noticed, and I'd be curious if that's true with Wong is uh, when you're up against something that's, putting out a lot of shockwaves that just drains your hand. Uh, are you finding that uh, your opponents are having a hard time keeping a control hand? In, in the beginning, when I first used Wong, because I've played a lot of games with him, um, I'm one of those players that when people are sitting around and they're like, hey, this master's garbage, um, but these masters are good, I kind of look at them like, well, challenge accepted. And yeah. uh, I've been finding that the first time I started using Wong, uh, I was going what I call aggro. I was basically putting Wong in a position where he can attack multiple models because you really don't want to, you know, bunch up because he has multiple, you know, you'll be flipping so many cards that he will drain your hand. Yeah. But, but you, so it sounds like now you say that you started off playing him aggro. Do you still play him aggro or is it, uh, has that changed? I, I've kind of honestly switched. Um, he he's went more on the support side now. So it's not so much, which we'll obviously talk about it in a little bit, but it's not so much. He's targeting the enemy models. He's actually surprisingly attacking his own models. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Well, let's talk about, um, kind of his signature abilities. Um, so what is something that's signature to Wizbang and signature to a uh, Wong? All right. So the main thing with Wizbang is, um, they like to kind of attack their friends. And uh, normally that's not a good thing, but in in this Wizbang crew, uh, just about all of his models has um, hard knock life. It's uh, just a general thing that they all have. It's after this model suffers damage caused by another friendly model, this model gains fast and a glowy token. Nice. So imagine throwing soul stones potentially at your friends and making them fast by giving them uh, any suit they basically want. Right. Just, just by hurting them. So I guess like we need to talk about the glowy tokens then, because uh, they're a little bit different than they were before. So if, if a model has a glowy token, what, what can he use it for? What's the benefit? So it is similar to power tokens with Hoffman. 
except um, all these do is actually um, give suits to uh, their abilities. So um, uh, a Bakor, which we'll later on talk about, is uh, an obeyer, basically. And they like masks, obviously, as most obeyers do. So you don't have to have that mask in hand if you have a glowy. I got you. So it obviously makes triggers a lot easier, uh, certain targets that uh, require a suit a little bit easier. And really, uh, I would imagine there's a bit of an imbalance that you create as well. So if you're using this stuff offensively and potentially draining their hand, but you're also potentially giving your friendly models these glowy tokens, the, um, you're putting pressure on your their control hand and you're relieving some of the pressure on yours. Yeah, that, that's correct. Um, also, um, I don't want to leave out Glowy actually has multiple uses with other things. Um, the uh, Swine Curse actually can use their uh, Glowy as damage reducing, and there's uh, no maximum. So as much nice. Glowy as they have them, they can burn that Glowy off. So if they would have four Glowy on them, they can actually reduce four damage. Now, it doesn't say reduce to zero, so they would at least take one, but that basically is potentially better than shielded and armor because it would still allow it to reduce unless it was irreducible. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about some of the offensive, uh, because you mentioned you used to play Wong that way. Um, So uh, let's talk about his main attack. Okay, his main attack is um, Fazap. So now... He is, to my knowledge, the only master, obviously, most of the models, actually, that he actually drops two shockwave markers. So they don't have to be in any radius except for the range. So potentially you could uh, drop one shockwave uh, 10 inches away from Wong and then one on the complete opposite, you know, as far as you can get. So it's basically chucking two grenades and it is a shockwave to move 13 damage to duel. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Um, now he has uh, two triggers on it and, uh, one is surge, which of course is draw a card. And he also has severe injury, which would be given, uh, injured one, which it's honestly, it doesn't really matter to Wong because he's actually, uh, targeting a move. So injured with defense and the willpower, it doesn't really help Wong. It just helps basically weaken a model for other models to attack. Well, and what's cool too about that fact that it's a shockwave too, and like you pointed out, you can put it in two different places, is you could do, uh, you know, one, you could hit, you don't have to have your crew bubbled up, right? Because so you, you can hit two different points if you're trying to hit your own models. And two, I could do one shockwave offensively and the other one uh, to, you know, target a group of my own models, right? That is right. And actually, um, speaking of my own models is it actually benefits you to, uh, target your own models, which can make them the shockwave marker and it bumps up the move duel. So instead of a 13, it goes to a 15 move duel. And if you target his totem, his totem actually make is also an aura where it increases the TN for the, any simple duel by plus two. So it would be a 17 move duel (laughs) if you target the totem. Now it also has a detriment. So if you pass the duel, you actually gain a glowy token. So you are kind of darned if you don't darned if you do, because you you'll glow even brighter. And so 
if or when you finally fail your duel, you'll actually take plus one damage for the amount of glowy is on you. Wow, that's cool. It's a neat mechanic. Um, I've I, I got to be honest with you, uh, Chris, I haven't played against uh, Wong yet or even seen him on the table. Uh, and I kind of like the look and feel of what we're talking about here. That's very interesting. Um, let's talk a little bit about his defensive tech. So what's what's keeping Wong alive? So he does have Counterspell. And in my opinion, it's not as strong as it used to be because it's a six-inch aura from him. So if you're seven inches out, you're not having to discard anything for your triggers. Um, but he does have something um, real big, though, and he has a quick getaway. So after resolving, so as long as I have a master soul stone for one, I will push up to five inches in any direction. So that's better than a squeal. And oh, boy, that sure is. And he also has evasive. So he's not going to take any damage from pulse or blast. So they, the effects go to zero. So he won't take any damage from his own doing. Oh, that's nice. That's nice. And I, I see he's got 12 wounds. So he's, you know, decent. And he's a 5-5, five, five, which is good, not great. Um, but uh, how? I, I just had a curiosity. In, in the majority of your games, how often does Wong find um, himself on the table at turn 5? I'll, I'll be truthful with you. I, I can't really recall since I, since I kind of, I wouldn't say figured him out, but I basically as close as I can. I haven't lost him once, actually, because he's he's not part of the fight. He's he's chucking grenades from a distance and not wanting to get in anything close to anybody. Yeah, but if someone gets into him, he's got some ways to get out of it, I can see. And boy, that 10 inch range on that shockwave is a big deal because that does allow him to play back, but still influence uh, the board. Well, it's basically about um, if you don't target one of your own models. Well, even if you do, you basically got a 12 inch threat because the it's the the pulse oh, right. two inch because it's a shockwave two. Yep, yep, and you gain a little bit from the marker as well, right? Yep, yep. So it's a place. very nice. So yeah, so you gain a little bit. So how about his tactical actions? What are you using those for? Um, so I actually have a little bit of a, of a as a start to everything, and he likes to be in the middle of all of his uh, crew because uh, he has a free actions the glow. So. Basically what happens is he discards any number of glowy tokens from everybody basically around him. And for every two glowy tokens, you actually uh, get to draw a card. So, but um, nice. at the end of the action, everybody within range gains a glowy. So what I most generally do is I start him in the middle. I do the free action. He's not receiving any glowy, so he's not drawing cards. But what he's doing is, is he's fueling all of his models around him. So he's basically generating all this glowy and giving him suits and everybody around him, kind of a cheap little glowy, and then he attacks them. Uh, that's really interesting because I, I I don't think I would have thought of that for and on the first read because you, it you know makes it clear that you can remove the glowy tokens, but even if they didn't, you didn't remove them. That's not a requirement for the action. They still are going to gain a glowy token at the end. Exactly. Nice. Very nice. So let's kind of talk through kind of a, a turn one with him. So it sounds like um, he's going to have his crew uh, close to him to give give out glowy early. Does that sound right? Yep. Every, he starts in the middle of all of his crew. And I basically like to put him in two groups. So um, most generally, he would uh, start in the middle. He would pass out. So he's one of the rare activations that you actually start a, a master early. 
mm-hmm. just to get everybody pumped. So he basically would start in the middle, do the free action. And uh, most of us, actually, all of his actions need a six. So very low. Don't really look for soul stones with him. Um, he passes out glowy and then he attacks his two models to start the glowy machine. And he, and he's doing that with his shockwave. Yes. He's, uh, he's targeting his, uh, two of his models that he chooses in their groups. And then they do the pulse. Now you would think, okay, you're going to just start bombing your own models and knocking them down. Well, most of his models actually has their blast resistant plus two. So they're going to reduce all the damage and then just take one damage from it. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. And that's where we get into kind of that support action. So he does the pulse out. He attacks, um, attacks, uh, a couple models. Um, are you then moving them up or are you happy if he doesn't move at all on the first turn? Well, most generally, I usually just do one big uh, attack on the models, and I usually get them up to about glowy two, and then every single one of my models is fast. So they're suffering one damage, and then they're all gaining uh, another glowy, which is usually up to two, and they're all basically fast, and they're ready to go. And then I most generally have the totem uh, beforehand sometimes drop a C marker and then I get into my launch into space, which would be a very key thing to do for some of the schemes later on that we talk about. What's that do? Uh, launch into space is actually, uh, we, we went over it a lot for the, the range. We all determined that it says just dropping a ski marker. So basically what happens is, is he removes a corpse, a scrap or a ski marker. And during the next start phase, drop the remove marker in this model's line of sight, not touching any terrain. So unfortunately, I can't get any easy search the ruins. But um, basically what happens is, and they also have a three-inch pulse. Any markers dropped by this action must pass a TN-14 move door, suffer one damage. But the trick is, is to get that mighty tome. The tome is when dropping the remove markers, drop an additional marker. So if you're picking up a ski marker you are actually going to be dropping two ski markers. Now, the thing that really hits home is when it's in this model's line of sight. Yeah. There is no range except what he can see. So like we're going to be talking about earlier, power ritual. Um, if he can see the, the enemy's back corner, that ski marker is going right there. Oh, that's cool. That's super efficient. Super. Yeah, and you only need a six of tomes or better to get uh, to get that trigger. Get two of them. Yeah. No, oh, that's that's very very cool. Well, that kind of gives us a little bit of idea um, of you know how what how Chris looks at, at Wong, and we're probably going to get into more kind of the style of play when we talk about the crew. So let's take a quick break, and when we get back from this break. I want to talk a little bit more about the crew itself. So we're going to find out what are some of the key models that uh, Chris uh, hires as soon as he declares his master. We'll be right back. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. So I'm really excited uh, to learn a little bit more about, uh, you know, kind of Chris's approach, especially, and I love this about 3E because I hear this from uh, a lot of people when they are, you know, they start a new keyword is that, you know, I started playing it this way. And then as the more I played it, I realized I get, you know, better effect playing it a different way. So Chris, when you are building your Wizbang crew, what are some models that always make it in? Obviously, the totem is the first one. So let's talk about that. Uh, all right. Well, the totem, the totem's pretty simple. She's a uh, defense four, willpower four, so she's not a big fan. With only four wounds, she doesn't really want to get in there. But um, with her uh, TN uh, plus two, she she gets in there a little bit. But anything of reckoning, you kind of want to keep her away. Uh, she, I basically make her a little scheme runner sometimes to drop my scheme markers for Wong to pick up and throw, or uh, maybe launch and uh, pick a pole. Well, having a significant totem is a big deal. Um... And, uh, let's see, her name's Olivia Bernard, right? Yep. Yep. Um, and I see she's got low defense, low willpower. She's got uh, four wounds, but she costs three. So she's pretty good. So she's dropping scheme markers. Um, and you, we all, let's talk a little bit more about what happens when you target her. Uh, when you target her with, uh, just she'll, she'll gain the fast and then, um, she'll gain the glowy. Uh, she puts out her, uh, her aura where whatever, uh, it's taking a simple duel. It makes it plus two. So does a lot with Wong targeting her if you choose to. If you got to get that last two wounds and you're like, well, you want to survive this thing. I mean, only really a rooster rider is move seven is actually going to need a 10. Everybody else is going to need about 11 or a 12 just to pass uh, Wong's target if he targets the Olivia Bernard. Gotcha. Okay. So looking at Olivia's card, um, the first thing I want to get a sense of is uh, her bonus action. Can we talk about such charge? Oh, set charge. Yeah, that's actually uh, a really good uh, thing that we've been trying to figure out a way to use it really good. Until end of phase after this enemy model ends and move base contact with a ski marker or scrap marker within range, all enemy models within three of the markers suffers two damage and then remove the marker. And what's key, the key there is that there's no flip, right? It just happens. Yeah, it just happens. And uh, most of the time, I don't really see my opponent like willingly walking up to one of those and suffering two damage. Gotcha. Do you, and now is there uh, things that are, uh, that are doing offensive places or pushes in the crew or uh, that can, can cause that to really kind of uh, tick off? Not, not so much pushes. Um, she does have um, uh, some friends, the, the cores that are good in obey. So they could just, you know, tell them you walk over there and then stand and, and hit that ski marker. And, uh, of course they have, uh, the gluttony, I'm pretty sure is the name of the, the sin seven models, crossroads seven, not sin yeah. seven. And, uh, there's a little combo that, uh, we've been talking about. And I think, I don't know if Oliver's leading it in the little Bayou crew that we have in the Facebook messenger, but, uh, 
there's some ways to set up to do uh, four to six damage, actually. Interesting. So uh, I see, she, and actually, I just realized that she has an offensive bonus action as well uh, that toss sparklers, um, which is uh, doing that glowy token and the burning. But the other thing I noticed when I look at her card too is that fancy cane is that's that's not too bad a, a totem with a two, three, four damage track with a one inch range. Yep, that's one of the setups where you could uh, get them to push into that ski marker just to do extra damage there. So Very nice. So after you've got Wong, you've got uh, Olivia Bernard hired. What is your next hire? Uh, I'll be truthful with you. My next hire almost always is two uh, Bacors. They're, uh, they have a pulse heal. So the typical first turn is I target the Bacors and uh, they don't have the resistance to blast. So I don't want them to take two damage. So if Wong targets one of his own models, they only suffer one damage, right? which, which of course gives them fast and glowy. And uh, what they do is they actually target each other with their healing energy. And uh, if I don't have the tone for healing burst, I can, of course, use a glowy. Right. And uh, it basically I have everybody bunched up together and the models within a two inch pulse of the target heal one. So all the damage that I did to all my friends Actually, they are healed right up to full by just usually one uh, seven of tomes. That's nice. And I got to tell you, the, the, the Bacors are models that I'm seeing hired out of Keyword, uh, out of Whizbang. Um, they're, they're strong models. The, yeah, they're, they're very strong because if one of them, even outside of Whizbang, if they get attacked and you have a, a voodoo doll hit them and deal one damage, they gain that fast. They gain that glowy. And... Uh, Besides the tome, actually, there's a bigger one that I think after the one heal, they're spending all their AP and it's uh, deja vu on their uh, healing energy, which is on a crow. Uh, you want to hear card draw. This is card draw mechanics. So they actually uh, discard a card and draw two cards. Oh, nice. So if you are having two Bacor and they have three AP and a bunch of glowy, uh, even a model that doesn't need healed, if you spend that glowy, you got that ace, and you can discard it. I've actually went from not having over a seven in my hand. By the time that I use both the cores, I have two 13s, two 11s, and a 10 and a 9. Yeah, and that healing energy, and that's all part of that healing energy, it's um, tactical action. Now, I noticed the, uh, the target number is a little high, right? Stat five, you need a seven, right? Yep. Um, but boy, it's worth it. Uh, it looks like, um, and then, uh, I also see, uh, we've got, uh, the ability to hand out shielded as well. Um, so it's pretty obvious why these guys are being hired. And I also just noticed too, that, uh, they, um, they're, uh, dual keyword. Uh, so we're, we should see these in the, uh, swamp fiend as well. Yeah. You're seeing at least uh one Bacor and, uh, every Zareta crew I've been seeing a lot. Um, I, I'm, I'm a new henchman. So, uh, before this, I know maybe Zareta fix, if that's what they're calling it. I actually have chose not to use Zareta. Um, just, uh, we had a Neverborn player user a couple of times and just, there's too many feel badsies. Yeah. 
I'm trying to grow my community, not uh, <laughs> anger it. It's, so. it's funny you say that. I had a conversation with uh, Oliver. And for those of you um, that are listeners, you've heard Oliver on the show. He was uh, one of the guys that was on the uh, Nova show. And uh, Oliver is in a similar situation where he's a, a relatively new henchman who's trying to grow his community over there in Eastern Virginia. And he went through the same process you did. He had to put Zeraida on the shelf just because uh, it, it, you don't want to be, when you're trying to grow the community, you don't want that much um, negative play experience as uh, she can do, especially, I mean, I, pulling Zeraida out on an experienced player uh, is one thing, but for a new player, it, 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 that's a brutal, brutal master to go against. I have to agree. Yeah, it's the, the old term, quit hitting yourself, quit hitting yourself. So all these models in these key positions and all of a sudden Rusty Alice is shooting, you know, Leviticus in his face. Yeah. Yeah. No, no fun. So, so we got the totem. We've hired one or two of the Bacor. What's next? The next thing, um, it all depends. So there is a henchman that is currently not out and I'm not a big beta tester with, uh, not having the model in my hand. So, mm -hmm. um, I'll do a brief thing. Uh, he has, he's basically Wong's henchman. He has an ability, which is toss, of course, which is, um, it's pretty rare, I think, in the game, but it, the toss is mainly that he only can throw somebody under his size. Now, he's being size three, and so most generally, he can throw a lot of stuff. Most of Wong's crew is actually uh, size one, but there is a couple models that I wouldn't mind to toss. So he does have an ability that makes him one stat higher, so he could basically throw a swine curse, which is height three, ten inches down the board. And, wow. And there's actually, a, I, I've been waiting for his box to come out. I really want his model. I have some evil little abilities that we're going to get into. And uh, it's just basically going to power him up by throwing him into walls. Purposely. Oh, that's interesting. Um, yeah, so his, his the, the model's name is Alphonse LeBlanc. Yeah, that toss ability, I, I'll tell you, man, the, I, the more I think about it, the more I play, um, the more models I see using toss, it's such a strong ability. I, yeah, I agree. Um, but there is one model that can even throw farther. Who's that? It's the Pigapult. Oh, okay. Let's talk about the Pigapult. So, so me playing uh, in 2E, I don't think I ever pulled out the Pigapult one time. I, I just didn't see it. And it took me a little bit to see it, but until Alphon comes out, I think nine times out of 10, I'm going to have a Pigapult in my crew. So he is quite large. He is size four. So he can see some stuff. Yep. Um, he does have a decent attack, which is a 12 inch ignoring line of sight, a little two, three, five. And um, he does have a trigger that it kind of most, most of your conversation you've had with uh, what do Bayou fear? Uh, mm -hmm. Bayou doesn't like armor most generally. Um, Wong's crew, if you're anticipating armor, is actually the Bayou crew that you reach for if you're worried about shielded and armor. Interesting. Um, they like having their glowy on them as well. So there's a trigger on a tome from the Pigapult, and it's uh, discard a glowy token. When resolving damage from this action, it is irreducible. Oh, no so soul big. stones, no shielded, nothing. You're going to take the damage that's dealt. He does do two, three, five. 
So it's not bad, but I'll be truthfully, uh, the Pigapult usually doesn't shoot anybody, you know, directly. He usually likes to have his friends go on a little, little flight plan called a uh, full load. Yeah, this is so good. It's uh it's an 18 inch range. So it's getting down the board. Uh, it has a crow built in, which we'll go through in a minute, but you choose a friendly model size one and it's within two inches of them. So the chosen model gains slow and is placed anywhere within range until the end of the phase. It cannot take interacts. Okay. So it's a shockwave two move 15 duel. So if you throw Olivia, it's going to be a move 17 duel. <laughs> now, now the damage is just damage two. you know, two is better than one in my opinion. And it's centered on the chosen model. Now, there's been a big debate, and um, I, I'm pretty sure I saw in the henchman forum how you felt if, if that was you or Ray. But um, the model getting thrown takes the duel and suffers damage in, in what's been determined. If it's wrong, I've talked to many TOs. Every tournament I go to, I say, hey, before this, this whole thing starts, I want to know what you think. And uh -huh. everybody's talked about how the damage is centered on the model. So... There's a, there's a key to this, why I got excited when I found out about this. But, um, I'm definitely of the agreement that, unfortunately, that it, that it does take the damage. But go ahead, explain why that's significant. Now, now you guys, now you say, unfortunately. Now, I say, yay. So, well, it's because I don't play Pigapults. I play against them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so real quick, I'll go over the the crow, which is uh, if this chose model is a stuffed piglet, then and it's not killed by the action, it may take the bacon bomb action. So basically, you what I thought you do with the Pigapult is, which you get a free stuffed pig with every Pigapult. You throw the stuffed pig. They do the duel. The the piglet dies. The stuffed pig dies, and then it pulses out another potential damage TN duel. And that's all the reason for the pigapult. Until I looked at the taxidermist. Right. Now the taxidermist, they're a wonderful little thing. Um, so the original setup I take with them, if I'm going against terrifying or not, it doesn't matter. I actually take inferiority complex. Now, they're a cost eight, and it's a rare thing that I wish they were a cost nine. Yes, I want to model higher cost because they gain ruthless, uh, so they ignore terrifying manipulative when I put this complex upgrade. It gives them swagger, so if they do walk, they'll gain you know focus. But the main reason, they're minions. And with minions with this, they gain bully. So they have the uh, magical influence. So when they have glowy on them, they can use them for suits and also bully. If I'm targeting something a lower cost, they can gain a suit. Now, the reason why this is so great is because they have critical strike. Yeah. So they're two, three, four actually spending a glowy. And if they're targeting something, you know, lower or they have that Ram, they are a four, five, six damage. So good. Now, the reason why the Pigapult's so great now. <clears throat> so they gain fast when they get injured or basically attacked by their own friends. Uh, so when a model gains slow, fast and slow are canceled out. So they both wipe clean. 
Well, in the timing, as the pigapult throws you, you gain slow, and then you land. And if you fail the duel, you take damage. So you are removing fast, gaining slow, which cancels out both, and you are gaining fast 18 inches down the board. Right. So you gain three AP by going 18 inches down the board. There is nowhere they cannot touch round yep. one. And a double teaming taxidermist with min four damage makes masters cry. Yeah, I bet. I bet. And, you know, I have, I have yet to see that. So I've seen the little trick I saw with the pig of pole, Nick, and, uh, I really was not a fan is, uh, uh, the guy was using it. I think it was in a Somer crew. He was using the, um, uh, who's the mechanic? Um, Marks. he's doing yeah. a stuff piglet throw six oh. damage. Is that what he was doing? Yeah. That is just brutal where he, he uses sparks to load up the pig and then the pig launches or, uh, he was actually, it wasn't even a pig necessarily. He was doing it with one of the, uh, you can do uh, just, a, uh, just, well, just one of the regular, uh, uh, little guys. Oh, he and, enough three damage. Yep. Yeah. And it's just, you know, flip after flip, but then some of that damage just happened and it was, it, it was very, very brutal. I mean, I, I, I had McMorning and had, was, had not seen this combo before. So of course, McMorning's got everybody bunched up nice and tight and flank deployment. Cause I'm trying to get all my poison out. And he did that to me and you know, basically wiped me off the table. Turn one. Yeah. Uh, yep. it, w- it was just absolutely brutal. So uh, going back to the Pigapult, so you hire the Pigapult. It's going to come with a stuffed piglet. You, you bring in a taxidermist as well. Um, is there anything else that's going to help facilitate everything with the Pigapult, or is that going to be enough? Well, well, the taxidermists also get uh, free stuffed pigs. So if you do oh, okay. go the, the stuffed pig shuffle, um, then you can do that as well. And uh, I did that once with Sparks and that was when I was using Agro Wong because I would mm-hmm. go with Wong earlier and drain their hands. So oh. that, that move 11 duel, um, when the stuffed piglet is targeted, he actually can gain glowy and actually go get up to a total of move 14 duel. So what was happening was the stuffed pig was going down, dying, doing, uh, doing the three damage from Sparks bombs in the belly upgrade. Yep. And as well, uh, doing a damage three injured one duel. So potentially you could take six damage yep. in a, in a two inch pulse. Yeah. It's, it's pretty gross. <laughs> it's pretty gross. It, it's, it's easier with the lightning bugs. I'll be truthful with you. It's, it's, you know, there's no duel. You don't have a choice. You're taking six damage. Oh, that's, uh, yeah, he did not do it with the lightning bug, but, uh, let's talk about the lightning bug because, uh, is that, is that a common hire with you as well? Or is that just, uh, something you bring in, uh, just to facilitate the, the, um, pig a pole? When, when LeBlanc comes out, uh, I might try not using a pig a pole and I'll be doing the swine cursed, um, throw and, uh, lightning bugs will be in there. Now they are, they have a similar heal as the Bacores, but, um, you need an eight instead and on the tome instead of doing the pulse they actually the target gains a glowy so if i want to power up a swine curse then i want to throw as much glowy on it as possible for protection and for free onslaughts and stuff like that got it so um now leblanc who's the unreleased uh, henchman at the time of this recording um i notice he's definitely fills also a beater role because he's got a nice three four six uh huge fist um attack 
Um, and we've been talking about the swine curse. So let's get into the swine curse a little bit because uh, I have a feeling that there are another uh, beater that you're bringing in. Yeah, uh, swine curse are actually pretty pretty great. Um, the only downside of them really is that they actually uh, only have a willpower four. So if you're going to go against um, any crews with terrifying or manipulative, they're going to be a little rough for you unless you have that swagger upgrade. Mm -hmm. And uh, with only being, I know it sounds crazy, but with only being a cost uh, seven, I don't really see the bully coming in very much. But um, I do see the glowy tokens really doing a crazy amount because uh, they have that irreducible damage as well for uh, full power. So if I want to send them in, they have a two, four, five. And uh, if I spend that glowy, luckily, if I get a, a tome, I only spend the glowy to discard instead of spending two every swing. But they can right. do that irreducible damage. But what I'm finding doing more is actually the onslaught. So not everybody has, um, sorry for the arcness BS again, but the little spiders, the erecting swarm, not everybody gets built in masks. How that got right. passed, I have no idea. It's, it's pretty incredible. It's, it's like, give them fast and watch them go. And, um, I actually have to spend tokens to give me onslaughts, but which is somewhat reasonable, right? To expect that not yeah, having I have to spend resources, yeah, right, yeah, or have it on plus flips with a, with a built-in onslaught. That's that's perfectly fine. Nothing yeah. wrong with that. Yeah, no, <laughs> but anyway, no, nothing's nothing's <laughs> bad there, I guess. Um, and you know what else? I'm looking at their tusks, which is their attack action. That rampage um, is pretty good on a crow too. Yeah, if you can set it up, I mean, everything's positioning. So uh, an experience, which I kind of enjoy not having people experience with Wong, because I kind of, I get that jump on him a little bit. I wouldn't say gotcha, but I get yeah. that. I mean, it, it happens once, but that might be the only chance they got is it happens once. And I don't know if they can come back for it, because if everything's bunched up, yeah, these, these swine curse, they can bounce around and just start beating on people. Especially, they're going to be fast. It's not... If they're fast, it's right. They're going to be fast. They're height three. Wong being height one usually can't see, you know, in front of his own people, but they can see a swine curse. And then being on a 40 mil, they even reach out and touch you with that blast even easier. Yep. Yep. No, that's good. Um, so uh, now that we get a sense of the kind of the really nasty damage dealing uh, that we're talking about. Um, and of course, we talked about uh, how the little trick there with Wong to get. Um, the ski markers out there. Is there anything else running schemes for you in a whiz bang? Um, it, it's kind of since, so we have to get out of this two E little funk. Um, the obeys from the Bacores, um, to my knowledge, they can, you, they can make you drop one of their ski markers now. Yep. So that helps out a lot. Uh, the pick a pull, of course, turn one, when the taxidermists are going 18 inches down the board, if they don't even move anymore, um, they're setting up for turn two. Cause Either if either I drop a taxidermist in the back corner and then uh, flip a turf marker or something for round two, are you really going to want to come and say uh, to a taxidermist, I'm going to deal with you? Or are you going to let them scheme instead of uh, make a taxidermist turn you into a stuffed pig? 
Gotcha. Gotcha. So it sounds like you're getting a little bit of versatility out there so that if, if someone, because you can put models in so many different places with that pegapult, you can quickly decide, you know what, this, this guy, you know, this taxidermist who's deal, who can deal a lot of, a a decent amount of damage. I'm just going to have him drop schemes. It all, all depends on, um, you know, what your needs are as opposed to having a dedicated scheme runner. Yeah. It's basically, um, instead of only having a model be good at one thing, I mean, anybody significant drop a ski marker, flip a turf marker. It's just the position you put them in and the position that your right. your opponent puts them in. I mean, if if I have a beater that can, you know, give get me a point, I'm going to get the point. If if, if I'm not going to run and uh, go try to take out an insignificant model for fun, you know, I I need to. Everybody's got AP, and I mean, Wong's crew can get a little bit more AP, but you got to watch your wound count. So is there anybody in keyword um, that we should talk about before we move on? There, there is one model. And uh, I don't know if it was Oliver that basically called me crazy. But at first when I was using Wong, I I said, why is anybody running Sammy? Sammy or LaCroix? She's, a, she's double keyword with uh, Ophelia, of course. And uh, so Ken and Whizbang. She she didn't seem like she had much. I mean, a very low one, three, four you know, voodoo pins, uh, jinx. And then, and then I kind of hit me. So, uh, she has jinx, which is a, just a little one, two, three damage and he gains injured one. And, uh, she has, of course, she has a magical influence. So she could spend glowy for tomes or whatever suit she wants, but she has a glimpse of the void. So anybody that plays Terra knows that. Yep. You know, TN14 willpower duel. Well, when she does it to you, you're actually gaining injured and then doing the test. Oh, so it's really target 15. Yes. And then she attacks you again. And then, heck, if you make it again, she attacks you again. And it's a stat six. So, I mean, it's a very low. You're not doing it to damage them. You're doing it to get that glimpse of the void going off. Or if you've been aggro Wong. They aren't going to have any cards to cheat, and they're going to be buried. Well, and also with her tactical action, her bonus action, she's got um, a range eight scheme scheme removal, um, which is a really big deal. Not only that, but you're removing an enemy scheme marker and you're summoning off of it, so that's a big deal. Yep, she's uh, she's summoning stuffed pigs, and uh, everybody loves stuffed pigs being on the board. Yeah. Now, the one thing to keep in mind is that it's, it's a uh, stat six with a target number fourteen with a crow, but with glowy, you're not too worried about that crow. Uh, so, just with it, with an eight, the ability to remove a marker eight inches away and then get a model out of it that that's that's efficient. You can also so in if if it's in reckoning, I'll never do the flying pig, but the flying pig in this edition is actually uh, significant. Oh, so, I don't think I realized that. Yeah, you can actually summon a uh, significant model. That's and, big. Uh, they're, they're, not, they're not great. They only have four wounds. Um, they actually have flight in this edition, you know, hence the flying piglet. In <laughs> 2E, they didn't have flying. Right. Um, but, yeah, they're, I mean, you really don't want to attack with them. I mean, uh Wacky gremlins are still around. They may be called by you, but they're still wacky where you have to do uh, the declared trigger and uh, they don't have really good ones. They actually have ones that benefit your uh, opponent, actually. 
Gotcha. But they do have showboating, which is nice. They're only cost three. So you can yeah. only, and they got four wounds. So you can only ask so much. Um, real low defense and willpower. Um, so getting out of keyword then, is there any versatile models or out of keyword hires? Now I have, I have played with it and uh, I wanted to try it out. But when I had a swine curse build, I had the mechanical pork chop. Um, he's pretty armored. I know, uh, yep. the guys talked about it in the brewmaster crew, uh, talk. Um, but it has, uh, one of those little sneaky things you don't think about unless you played them a couple times. So they have their ability, uh, rage machine. So, uh, after a friendly model within three declares a scratch action, this model may suffer that model, sorry, may suffer one irreducible damage and receive a positive to action. Duel. So, I've actually had a slow swine curse mm-hmm. um, decide to take that damage, which gave him fast, which canceled out the slow and gave him a glowy. And then I had him attack again. So I went from having a slow fi- swine curse to actually having a fast one. And wow. I think I ended with three glowy on him and he was fast. Wow. And he started with nothing because I was close to that uh, pork chop. Yeah, that's nice. Now, so um, a little sneaky. There's a lot of synergy in this crew, um, uh, and and that's pretty obvious based on what we've talked about so far. Do, is there any second masters you're ever hiring into Whizbang, um, or is there just not room for a second master? I I've been trying, and it's every time I'm just like, you know what? Yep. I got two taxidermists and they have those upgrades. I'm spending 20 points. And then I just, I mean, I've almost reached for zip a couple of times because zip is more independent, but, uh, long being height one, I don't want to put any pianos right in anybody's way. Cause, uh, they don't have flight. Yeah. And that would start, uh, to reduce his, uh, line of sight as well, which is something definitely I get the feeling that Wong doesn't want to do. Um, let's talk about some of the generic upgrades. You touched on a few. Um, can we go through which ones you use and where you put them again? So I use the conflict more than anything with the taxidermist. Um, I've put 12 cups on Swinekirst and, uh, basically make them move. What is it? About 15 extra inches. Now I think about it. And, uh, twitchy is just, is just wonderful. Yeah. I mean, a little, a little one inch and people think, Oh, it's just one inch. You know, well, when most of the time your opponent has eight activations average, uh, my crew usually has eight or nine. They're, they're getting places. And, uh, if I want to put them in harm's way or in my opponents, you know, then they'll be there. And then of course I get them in there with diversion and, Nobody within four inches enemy wise is doing those free actions. Yep. And some models, they really need their zero action. I'll tell you right now, 12 cups of coffee is, is disgusting. Um, and, uh, for any of the listeners out there that have not looked at that upgrade, look at it and then think about it. Um, because it is incredibly powerful and you only need to go up against it once to really feel it because not only are you getting, you know, a a lot of times we'll think about it, um, you know, being able to be very aggressive, say turn one, but those little one inch um, moves and pushes, um, are huge as far as getting out of engagements. Um, it's, it's a big deal. Um, I, uh, I've only played against, uh, Bayou, but that 12 cups of coffee, every time I see it happen, I'm like, I, I, I I gotta read that card again. Is that really, yeah, it's really what it does. Okay. 
Yeah, it, the the twitchy the twitchy for the minion side is is really hits home. Yeah, like really good. I mean, the diversion's really good. the the main The main thing that makes the upgrade really good, which is most upgrades, is that you know you know your own crew, but you know what your opponent's crew that doesn't want to happen. So if you get into a big group and they really need these zero actions to do something, even the snipers, if you get into their snipers, they aren't going to push away. Yep. And uh, But a lot of people have been talking about Wong's hurting a lot because he's size one. He can't see over his own models. So some people have been putting the, the two gremlins in a ghillie suit to make them one more height mm-hmm. and you make them disguised. Uh, I haven't... I haven't honestly really did it because, I mean, in the beginning I positioned and then basically turn two, I'm mostly shooting my own models again. And then I'm not, they're not in the big groups, but I'm shooting my own models. I mean, I don't need to see over them. I, I just, I shoot them. And then if there's an enemy near them, great. But if there isn't great, I'm making my own models fast. Um, usually hitting my Bacores, be truthfully, just for that heal. Because yep. it's tactical mm-hmm. heal. So they'll heal themselves and spend those glowy for the crows and then just get that card cycling going. That's why I don't really take soul stones. If I start with a crappy hand, as long as I got sevens, then I'm happy. Yep. I'll be cycling mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the, the, I, I'm starting to see what you're talking about, kind of that different way in, the, in attacking your own models, especially with the amount of quality heals that you have. And then it's not just healing, but you're also getting some nice card cycling out of it, too. So that's good. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, basically, yeah, shooting yourself you know, in the foot, you know, isn't always a, a bad thing that <laughs> our parents always told us. So um, the only the only model that I was uh, thinking about going back to the the keywords out of keywords. I just want to do a, a brief thing. Uh, it's going to be a broken record, but big brain Brent. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, I would love that extra card. And then uh, I had a, a recent tournament lately. I was hoping I could come on the show and, and tell you, I won two tournaments in a row, you know, back to back with long power. But um, unfortunately that uh, Dubois Colette, those dirty arcanist terrorists, uh, got at me and I was kind of, I was trying to figure out a way to shut her down. And, uh, I know Wong really does good by the move duels because yep. I'm not targeting her defense, but that, uh, sober up on a uh, big brain brand would have been really nice giving her stunned. And I could have oh, just watched right. the tears. I could have just watched the tears, but I'm trying to look into a little bit of Bryn, but, uh, I never thought I would ever say I'm a theme player, but it seems like I haven't been really taking anybody out of keyword yet, but I really want to try to, get on there and see if it's worth it. Well, it's the only way you're going to find out, right? Is getting him on the table and trying him out. And um, I think that I like the fact that you're already thinking of, of him as a potential tech hire, uh, depending on what you're going up against. Um, and with Colette being the target, anything that targets and makes Colette hurt, it makes me happy. So, oh, oh uh, yeah. <laughs> so Christopher, let's take another break. And when we get back from this break, I want to talk a little bit more about where you're finding uh, Wong excelling. So we're going to talk about uh, the pools, what strategies Chris likes to bring Wong into. And if there's any schemes out there that, uh, Wong excels in or that Wong denies. So we'll be right back. Hi, I'm Keith Suderman, and I'm a patron of Third Floor Wars. You'll never mistake me for a competitive player, but I really enjoy the analysis and the advice I get from Tabletop Talk. 
you should be a patron too. Head on over to patreon.com and search for Third Floor Wars, or just click the link in the show notes below. So how much are three or four of these episodes worth to you a month? Third Floor Wars has a Patreon, and if you think they're worth a dollar, five dollars, twenty dollars a month, swing by and become a patron. We have polls to decide the next episode of the pod, along with early releases of articles and podcasts. Everything we release goes out to everyone, but sometimes our patrons get a head start. The link is in the show notes, or just search for Third Floor Wars on Patreon.com. Thanks for the support. Hey, want to take a quick minute to thank some of our newest patrons. Uh, we really appreciate your support. Thank you to Andre, LaShawn Allen, Gear Hagen, Dave Gross, Vlad Barl, Gazgul, Robert Singer, Joseph Gerard, Matt Carter, Cohen Soles, and Matthew Overton. We appreciate it. I love the synergies that Chris has been talking about. Um, it's part of what kind of came with the keyword system. And uh, one of the things that uh, makes me like uh, M3E better than I even liked M2E. Uh, but Chris, I want to talk a little bit about the pools. Um, is there any strategy or maybe two strategies that uh, if they're flipped and that's part of the pool, you immediately consider Wong? What, what strategies is he, is he good at or does he deny well? So out of all four, um, I would, it sounds like a broken record. Everybody just thinks, oh, my master can do it all. My master can do it all. Well, when everything but... Um, uh, plant explosives, because you know that's zip. You know we're that's that's a zip thing. You know plant explosives normally, but yeah. uh, reckoning. Uh, you know the corrupted idols with the bakors. Yes, I know uh, gain grounds zero. You know hurt, but you know actually I think you know having an obey at a distance for corrupted idols instead of that model being in Hell's Kitchen, right there taking wounds, moving it, and then just being a prime target. Yep. In, in some ways, you got to look at it the other way where I'm telling one of my models to do this thing and I'm suffering the damage out of harm's way, 12 inches away, and then I'm just going to heal myself again. Well, that's the key there is the, is the fact that you've got the heals to recover from it. So your your Bacor is out of danger. It's it's forcing that to push through that idols and then it's able to heal back up again all while being away from the hot spot, which is where the idol is. Yeah, and uh, in, in that and reckoning where uh, I have those taxidermists that their models are going to go off, hide behind a wall in their area, and they're going to think they're safe. And then, you know, I got a, a fast landing 18 inches away taxidermist move five. I'm going to get to you. And they're the rare ones that actually have a one inch scratch, which in, you know, 3E standards, that makes them a rock star. Well, and the mobility that you've been talking about, Chris, I would imagine um, it allows you to be very threatening in Turf War. Oh, yes. Um, uh, I played in uh, a tournament in actually um, Slam at the Ram. Uh, and I don't mean to boast, but it's actually my uh, first year Slam at the Ram. I took that with Bayou as well. So nice. uh, I love Indiana. I will gladly come to Indiana whenever you folks want. I got an invitation to the, the first con that they have. Uh, I think it's called Indie Storm. Yeah. So I'll, I'll be playing in that tournament as well and trying to keep it coming back to Ohio. Um, but no, I had a game that was Turf War and I threw my taxidermist to uh, the two corners and uh, 
just held the turf marker there and I flipped him and I basically just held the taxidermist there and just waited for him to try to come and get it. And let's just say they didn't come and get it. So, yeah. Yeah, that's um that 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 mobility and the ability to get 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 the pieces where they need to be um is a big deal. And when we're talking about the mobility, it's not just that pigapult; it's all that fast that you got thrown around too. Um, how about on the scheme front, Chris? Is there any schemes um that he that uh, the Wizbang crew does well in? Uh, I think with Wong's shenanigan, depending on, of course, the table, because um, some some tables are more scattered than others, but. If I just get a little slither, uh, I'm going to take power ritual all day. And yep. uh, I've actually, it's been rare, but I actually took what a lot of people always say you're crazy for taking two heavy scheme marker dropping. But with Wong, with his tones, yep. I could drop power ritual and I could do harness the ley lines all together. Yeah, that 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 marker efficiency that he's got, is a, it makes a lot of things uh, um a lot more doable. So uh, harder ones, I, the main ones I think about are the harder ones like detonated charges can be tough. Um, but with his ability just to be able to drop them in line of sight, um, that makes even those more doable or even dig their graves. Yep. Dig your graves. Cause it's at the beginning. So they're going to see it coming. So if you can fake it, um, you know, if they think it's dig your graves, they're still going to move away from it. And, but you got to try to fake it and drop it where harness ley lines would be. And maybe they'll just leave it alone and try to get out of Dodge if it's wrapped up with somebody. So it's really good for dig your graves. It's really good for about everything. And actually I had one of my, uh, one of the fellow Bayou players, the slam with the Ram, he kind of enlightened me with it. And he looked at it as a, a fast glowy thing. Cause you can, it lands by one of anywhere in line of sight. And, your models will take that duel, and if they get hurt, that's hurt by a friendly action. So oh, right. you can drop it by your friendlies, and Wong doesn't even have to spend an AP by shooting them, making them fast and glowy. I mean, I'll cheat down to take that one damage. Yeah, no, that makes sense to me. What are some uh, schemes that someone should not pick if uh, if, they, if it's in the pool and they're going up against Whizbang? What does he hard counter? Um, It's kind of... If they want to do anything like uh, assassinate Long is is really a horrible idea because he's not going to put himself in danger. So I would never suggest anybody assassinate. Now, I know some of my friends, you know, they they think I think that and then they give it a try. And I'll I've actually been known to double walk my super uh, fast move three pigapult. And actually, I had a Bacor obey and threw Wong 18 inches away from everyone. <laughs> um, yeah, so I sent Wong on a little trip, and uh, he was a wizard. He was a wizard flying. Um, but that's assassinates the main one. I would I would never suggest because um, he's he's not hurting himself like he is his other crew. So. Well, and I think that's a good tip just in general, Chris, and something that I think that people don't think about with assassinate. So a lot of times what they'll do in trying to assess whether they want to take assassinate or not is they'll look how resilient the master is. And, you know, you look at look at Wong and he's killable. Right. So if I'm just looking at his card, not putting things in the proper context, but the piece of uh, assassinate that people need to remember is the mobility piece. Um, it, it, you don't necessarily want to take assassinate against a, uh, a tough master who's hard to bring down. And you really want to reconsider taking it against a mobile master, which we've already established, even with just the bigapult, just how mobile this crew is. Oh, yeah. So, Chris. 
Yeah, it's good. It's good. So Chris, let's take one more break. When we get back from this, I want to learn from you uh, what you consider kind of second level play with Wong. And I have a feeling which direction that'll go. And I also want to talk about things that people can do that makes Wong sad. So we'll be right back. Howdy friends, Craig here. With 3rd Edition Malifaux released, it's time for you to get a new mat with new deployment zones. We've tried every mat in the business and nobody has better quality and selection than Mats by Mars. They're waterproof and they roll and unroll easily and they're even wet erase Marco compatible. They offer over 35 designs and let you add M3E overlays for making deployment and positioning a breeze. Check them out at matsbymars.com. They are offering a sweet discount for our listeners. After you found the perfect mat, use the promo code THIRDFLOOR to get 10% off your entire order. If you really want to support us in the notes of your order, request that our logo be put in the corner of your mat. It's the only way to make the best mat in the business even cooler. Again, that's Matt by Mars. Use the promo code THIRDFLOOR to get a 10% discount. Details are in the show notes. Howdy folks, Craig here. Now, if you love gadgets as much as we do, you're going to love the new Third Floor Wars Gadget Bundle from Schooner Labs. Branded with the logo of your favorite podcast, it comes with two measuring multi-tools, a compass stepper for those tight and important movements, along with a compact dashboard to track your turn, strat, and scheme scoring, along with your soul stones and pass tokens. It is the perfect bundle for anyone who plays Malifaux or just wants to look cool while doing it. The link is in the show notes. Check them out and help support your favorite gaming podcast. Now, Chris, what I'm finding is that uh, there's a lot of depth um, with a lot of these keywords. And, you know, you read a keyword and you put it on the table the first time and you play some of the obvious things. But um, the more time you play with a keyword, you, you know, you start to learn uh, some some hidden strengths or some hidden tactics that, that may not have been obvious the first time. So what is some second level play that someone's going to maybe come across after they've gotten long on the table maybe five, ten times? Well, so the second level, there always has to start at a first level, of course. So um, I felt the pains that people talked about where they're like, oh, Wong is unplayable. And I was thinking, I mean, I need Al. I need Al before I start playing Wong. Um, I started off with uh, putting Wong in too much danger. So his gun is 10 inches, uh, his fizzat. So what I thought you had to do with Wong is use that pig pull, of course. You got all those stuffed pigs. And uh, I'm trying to summon with taxidermists. I'm not really seeing the damage dealing with taxidermists. So I'm throwing stuffed pigs, passing the duel by spending, a, what, a, a 10, a 9, because they're so slow. Um, yep. But I and I'm then I'm trying to get in position where the stuffed pig is in the middle of a bunch of guys. And I'm doing the fizzap and using Wong aggro really bad. And then I'm shooting the stuffed pig twice, getting that glowy built up. So it'd be a move 13 duel. So people are, you know, spending the cards to pass and then the stuffed pigs blowing up and doing more. And it was working okay, but I, I felt like something was struggling a little bit. And then I, then it kind of slowly built up, but then I, I reached out to my fellow, uh, Bayou you know, dirty swamp hags and, uh, they were helping with the taxidermist ideas. And I kind of, I, when, when we had that discussion, I learned about the pigapult doing its own damage. So I, I, it hit me and I said, holy smokes, 
I got taxidermists flying down the board. Wong's shooting his own people in the butt, basically, you know, tell him to get going and doing his dirtily, dastly deeds. And uh, you had to learn that balance of, you know, should I shoot my own model and give him fast? He's only going to have two wounds now. And I got a Yazanori licking his chops the whole entire time. Yeah. Um, those Bacors, I'll, I'll be truthful with you. The Bacors and the Pigapult are the key. They are the key. You got mobility. You have healing. And I don't know how many times. I mean, you need a nine. A nine a mass for a Bacor to get an Obey off. And I can't tell you how many times I've made Yazanori charge into his own people. And I had two cards, so Yazanori's got an onslaught. So I'm turning his own models against him. Those Bacors, and until I see Al come out, and then I, I'll give him a run. I'm going to give him a thorough five, six games before I say, is the Pigapult leaving or is the Pigapult staying? So it sounds like part of that second level play is is what you're talking about, Chris, which is is finding that balance, um, not getting not getting Wong into trouble, but making sure that he can influence the board, um, and leveraging that mobility, um, and and uh, you know learning w- really what maybe the taxidermist can do, not what you thought they should do. Um, is there any other second level play or things that um, people maybe not have thought about? Um, the going back to the swine curse. So basically, everybody gets all cocky when I come up and I have a swine curse only with four wounds, and I've got them up to five glowy. So it's kind of a little tricky that people are like, well, that swine curse is going to go down. I mean, he does have a defense six, so he, he can stand up defense six, but those willpower duels, they're going to beat him down a little bit, but his backup is that, that glowy on him. So learning to, you know, to use that glowy for that onslaught or to hold it, is going to be basically just very much trial and error. You got to see, you got to look at the cards in your hand. And and if that dreaded black Joker hasn't showed its ugly face yet, don't get too cocky and only leave yourself with one glowy because that's why yeah. curse will go down. So your second level play is going to be, you know, am I going to shoot that model or am I going to just see if they'll flip a card for a move 13? I will tell you the biggest thing and me and one of my friends, Scott, we're talking. It's just like those terrifying duels. Everybody's like, well, it's just an 11 terrifying duel. But I'll tell you what, I don't know how many times that I needed like a six and I flipped a dang 13. And that 13, unless you're playing Big Brain Brin, that 13's gone for the turn. So doing that little move 13 duel, everybody's like, oh, that's an easy duel to pass. I'll just pass it with this. I'm like, all right, well, you flipped that 11. And now you're you're going to attack me, and now you just flipped a two. That 11 was on top of your deck until you did that little simple Yeah, little anytime duel. you're forcing your opponent to flip cards, um, it to, it to uh, try to pass duels, it's good. I mean, obviously playing Rezzers, um, you know, you learn very quickly just how good terrifying is. Um, and there's the, uh, you know, the concept of the saturation. And then something I'm picking up from you, Chris, talking through this is you, you are just saturating your opponent with card flips and, you know, a little bit here, a little bit there. And, you know, yeah, so I only need a six to pass this. I could just cheat that in, but you only have so many sixes in your hand. Pretty soon you're staring at your tens and your elevens going, God, do I want to cheat that to pass this? Because then I'm, you know, I, I have plans for that card. Um, and that if, if you are draining hands and putting pressure on the control hand of your opponent, um, things are definitely going to go your way. 
Yeah, um, when I when I do use Agro Wong, he he is a card drain. And then people when they're flipping, they're all cocky looking at me. They're like, "Look at this! I flipped another ten. Oh, I flipped an 11 I'm not, and I'm going to take all this glowy, and I'm never going to fail a duel. And I'm just thinking, I'm like, keep on flipping those 11s, keep on flipping those 12s, because when I send in the taxidermist or in the swine curse, they're going to be sitting here discard pile, and nothing's yep. on the deck. Yep. So. Chris, now that we have a sense of uh, really some effective, you know, tactics to uh, to get the most out of uh, the Whizbang crew, I do want to find out what you hate to see. So, what are some things that somebody going up against Whizbang could do or bring into their crew that would make Wong sad? So, so he has a lot of so uh, so there is the armor when you use Agro Wong, but. I've been finding, like I was talking about, I got away from aggro Wong and I went to support. So I got away from the armor, which is every Bayou player saying, oh, it's the armor, it's the shield. Well, it's not. I'll be truthful with you. The biggest thing I hate to see is sitting across from Outcast. Are they going to drop Terra? Interesting. Terra is basically Wong's almost kryptonite. I mean, you're not going to see Terra nine times out of 10 in Reckoning. So I don't worry about that. But when I'm putting fast on all of my models, oh, right. Terra's laughing all the way to the bank. Yeah, I would imagine now, the same is true against Pandora as well. Yes, uh, Pandora's just taking my fast away and just getting positive. Yeah. Uh, I also don't like Zerata because if I'm doing the rare, now rare, uh, aggro Wong, I'm trying to drain your hand. All you're going to do is just get it right back. And, uh, you can turn my glowy swine curse against me. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're spending all of these resources and, and actions to load up models to, to then have any obey out there, um, using, you know, all of that time and resources spent against you has got to be bad. Um, any other, th- um, so that, that's kind of some masters. Is there anything, you know, tactically? I mean, I would imagine bunching up against Wong's a bad idea. Yeah, as long as you you spread out, if somebody uses aggro Wong, um, if you spread out, you're going to negate it a little bit, but he does have the double shockwave. And uh, if I'm using my Bacors, I actually get those obeys off because I only need a six for zap. So I don't need to spend my big resources to get that zap off. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to obey you to bunch up with your friends. And uh, if you can get stealth, Stealth helps against the obeys. It doesn't yep. help against Wong's um, aggro Wong. But like I said, uh, I mean, I don't know a lot of people playing Wong right now, so I can't really say how they're going with it. Mm-hmm. But uh, the support Wong has uh, been working out a lot. So he, he really just, if you're going to go against Wong, uh, just space out. And if he's got Bacors, you have to target them i mean you gotta take them out yeah that was gonna be my next question is is target priority so if i'm looking at the support wong build and and you know facing something that's similar to what you've been talking about um the bakors i would imagine are a target priority what else should i focus on as far as helping to dismantle some of this power um i would you know i would pressure the pig pull a little bit yes he's armor too um, he's a low defense, so uh, blasting off of him is great. Yes, you're only going to do one damage or whatever because they're all blast resistant, but you honestly want to kind of spread out the love. You know, 
you you want to do the ones, the twos, the threes damage, and then because if Wong's crew is is full and healthy, I can I can sacrifice those uh, wounds and get them fast. But if I only have if I'm only at half and I don't want to hit those taxidermists, I'm like, oh, they're going to be in the stuff, and then I don't want them to yeah. have three wounds because they got squeal, and that's about it. They don't have swine cursed um, the reducing. So if you're ticking away at all my models, that's a little scary for me because if I don't have the, the, the heels at eight inch, so I got to put the Bacores in harm's way. And that's kind of feeding you like going out in the open and I got a Bacor and they don't have really squat for any defense unless you're, you know, engaging them. They don't have an engagement. So they, you could walk up almost at base with them and drop a ski marker and smack them and kill them. So they don't have anything defensive. Yeah, that, that, I could see where the the kind of the grind um, could end up catching up to you because you're really depending on the, having the flexibility to take some damage and heal it later. But if if you guys are floating and grinding down to low wounds, you don't have that flexibility. Oh, I'm a I'm a end a turn three tournament crazy Wong. If, <laughs> if, if, if I'm if I'm getting if I'm getting to turn four, you know, I did I did some practice games, and I'll tell you what, turn five Wong. I mean, he, he isn't going to make it like he, he's alive, but all of his crew is, is hanging on a thread. You need that turn three end. And I'm not saying slow play or anything. I'm saying (laughs) in the heat of the moment, I mean, you're, you only can heal your guys so much, but they're going to get out of range of all your Bacors. Your Bacors are going to be sitting back, just, you know, shooting heels at each other at themselves and doing that card drain. But when you're most of my models shoot, they're, almost always all my models are down to two or three wounds by the end of the the round oh that's interesting and that's a good thing to keep in mind i guess when you're going up against a Wizbang crew um is that you know by turn four turn five you might be in a much better position if you can survive those first three turns yeah oliver made it uh, a good uh good saying there he's like we're glass hammers i mean we we like when i send a taxidermist i usually like when I catapult two taxidermists, I keep them together because they're I've killed Lord Chompy Bits turn one multiple times. Um, I'm double teaming a big baddie and I yep. want to go after that key model. So if you have a key model and you have a feeling that I know which is going to be holding your crew together if, with glue, uh, keep them safe. I mean, I don't know if you can bunch them around or. I mean, it sounds horrible, but holding them back, don't yep. get them in anywhere up. I mean, remember, I can go 18 inches and I'm a move five and I'm going to be fast. So I'm going to get to you. But do you want me to get three swings on you or do you want me to get one? Right. Right. No, that's that's a real good point. Well, Chris, this was very interesting. Um, I was lo- really looking forward to this because, again, uh, I had not played against Wong yet, uh, but he's always been one of my favorites out of Bayou. Um, from a lore perspective, I've always loved the model and the look of the crew. Um, so I appreciate you sharing all this. Is there anything that you want to plug before we wrap up? Um, I I want I do want to plug. I know I'm an Ohio guy. Uh, I'm going to be running my first tournament somewhere next year. Uh, out of Northwest Ohio. So uh, all my indie boys and uh, I'm hoping that I can get somebody back alive in Michigan. I mean, I want to plug anybody in Michigan that's playing Malifaux because I have a group of guys. There's usually about five, maybe six or seven of us. We kind of jokingly call ourselves the Finley boys. 
And uh, we're uh, we like we'll stretch. We'll go to South Bend. Um, they're regrowing theirs in South Bend. Uh, Indianapolis is doing great out there. Um, Columbus, Columbus, Ohio just had a tournament, and yep. uh, yeah, they uh, we're we're coming back alive. Uh, and I have to honestly. I know your head's probably not going to be able to walk out of your room, but I think it's mainly you're the one that is growing this, Craig. Oh, that's um, funny. <laughs> I, I'm actually, I'm actually, you know, it's it's going to sound like a hot date, but I'm actually going to plug you, big okay. guy. <laughs> um, you doing this U.S. Faux Tour has just brought so much life, and I don't see it being negative, and that and that's an accomplishment, Craig, because <laughs> normally big tournaments. Uh, it might bring out the worst in people to try to get to that top. Now I'm fighting. I want to, I want to see you at your first tournament. Like I want to <laughs> see this first big one. And, uh, but I think so much life has been brought back in because there's something that we're, we're fighting for at the end of the tunnel instead of just, Oh, well I'm the best Malifaux player in Northwest Ohio. Sure. And somebody out in California is like, you aren't nothing, you know, let's meet up in the middle. And then I go to Adepticon and, you know, but I mean, if you can, if you can bring us all together, I mean, we're a little bit bigger than the UK. So it's, you know, there's going to be airplanes and all types of craziness. But Yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, part of the reason, Chris, I appreciate you saying those things, man. Uh, but part of, part of the reason Ray and I really thought that, that, uh, the, the USFO tour could be a thing is, uh, because of the, the kind of players that we saw in Malifaux. I mean, obviously one of the things you fear is, is, you know, the game, a competitive game like Malifaux turning into kind of, a negative place. Um, but uh, I just never, we never saw that with, you know, high, highly competitive players in Malifaux that were a lot different than highly competitive players in 40 K or even old fantasy. Um, so we thought that there was, there was a spot for it. And uh, I'll be very interested to see, you know, next year, um, you know, how many people we can get to hop on a plane and come out uh, for that first master's tournament. Um, and, you know, even for the side tournament itself, um, you know, you can, you have to have uh, some sort of tepid expectations for that, but it makes me really happy that I'm, I'm I am seeing some excitement around it locally. And I think that that's been one of the things that's nice about the conferences is that you, you know, you may not be able to make it to Raleigh, uh, you know, next next October, but, you know, you can compete to be the best in your, you know, your little meta um, and in your group. And some of these conferences are pretty large, that Central Conference, the Great Lakes Conference. And uh, to be able to, uh, you know, hop in a car and drive a couple hours and, and drive that um, that desire to, to play in more tournaments, um, it, it gets me excited. So uh, I will definitely let Ray know. Um, uh, your kind words, man. I do appreciate it. Yeah. And, and me and my buddy Scott, uh, we talk a lot and then we try to help each other out. He plays, uh, Rezzers and of course is, you know, I don't know why anybody would want to play Neverborn, but, um, <laughs> I, I love my thunders. I'm trying to get back, but we always scheme and he's, he's totally stoked. Um, he's talking about, even if he doesn't make the top where he can be in the big championship, he still wants, he wants to get on a road trip and he wants to come and, and play in the other tournament that you're hosting and everything. They're really fired up about. Oh, that makes doing. me happy, man. I, uh, I'll tell you, we're, we're excited about it. We're really looking forward to it and, and, and hope it kind of gives us uh, a, a nice place every year for everybody to get together and, uh, you know, play either in the masters or the side tournament, but more importantly, you know, to get a chance to sh shake some hands and, uh, 
flip some cards. So that sounds good. Well, Chris, I, I do appreciate it, my friend. And uh, let's, uh, I hear Chris is getting in a car and driving to go see people over in Indiana. And, and he's, he's been putting in his miles. So when uh, Chris puts a, starts putting on his tournaments, my expectation is for people in the area to do the same. Uh, so good luck to you, man. I appreciate that. And Craig, I have one more question for you yeah, real man. quick. All right. So you're having this in uh, your, your big USFO tour in what city? It's pro- it's either going to be in Charlotte or Raleigh. We haven't determined yet. And then and then you reside in one of these uh, cities. Correct? I live in Raleigh, North Carolina. Yeah. So so I was wondering how many nerds could fit in your basement. So Dave <laughs> on uh, hotels because it's it's a little expensive and uh, I didn't know how big your basement was. How many uh, nerds we could fit. <laughs> So uh, I don't have a basement, but I do have a third floor, of course. You do um, have a third, yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, there, there'll, there'll be some hotel rooms that'll have to get in there. So, so my uh, my my hot tip there is that it's going to be in October, or November. So start saving up. Uh, my hope is is that it's worth it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I tell you what, what's your max? What what do you think your max player is going to be? So we're we're going to allow thirty two players in both events. So the Masters, um, we're going to end up with thirty two players, um, and then the side tournament, what we're calling the season season finale tournament, is going to be also thirty two. And obviously, Masters is invitation only, but the side tournament is going to be you know first come first serve whoever buys tickets. Um, I think the big thing for everybody to keep in mind is two things. One, if you think you're going to qualify. Um, when tickets go on sale in the summer, um, you're going to want to buy a ticket to the side tournament. Um, because that can be turned into your master's entry, um, uh, automatically if you do qualify. But the other thing that's key too is we're debt, we're, let, we, let's say we invite 32 people for masters. The chances of all 32 showing up. And us not having some space in masters is slim to none. So one of the things that we're going to, you know, are offering is as an incentive, but also to make sure that that masters fills up is anybody who's in the side tournament and there that day, if we have availability in masters, we will upgrade people based off of their rankings. So let's say that you're maybe, I don't know, ranked 40th in, in the wild card rankings and you're in the side tournament and we have somebody no show for the masters, you have a good chance of being upgraded and put into masters and be able to compete for the masters tournament. Um, so we're hoping there's enough incentive for people not only to come out for the masters by the invitation, but also hopefully come for that side tournament, uh, for the chance to one, play a bunch of, uh, people from all over the country and two, have a chance to maybe slide into masters. Yeah, I, I yeah, I'm, I'm a little worried about those West Coasters. You know, uh, I, they they might not make the make the trip. So I was, uh, yeah, it's tough. That. It's tough, man. And and eventually, my hope is is to uh, and when it's not going to be, you know, definitely not this first year. It may not even be the second year, but eventually, I'd like it to be uh, hosted in Atlanta. Uh, just because that's the easiest, literally the easiest place for everybody in the country to get to, both price wise and length and time wise. Oh yeah. Um. So hopefully, uh, we'll be able to get in Atlanta soon. Yeah, I got family in Atlanta, so uh, I don't have to worry about those hotels. So yeah, let's <laughs> let, let's, let's work on that Atlanta. Let's, let's get, out, let's get right. on the road. All right, all right. Well, Chris, I do appreciate it, and uh, thanks to everybody that listened, and we'll look, talk to you next time. Take care. Be sure to check out our shop on thirdfloorwars.com for the latest gaming apparel and gear. While you're there, check out how the USFO Tour is shaping up. How does your conference compare to the others in the United States? Where do you rank nationally? 
Get those models built, painted, and on the table so we can see you at the U.S. Masters Invitational in October of 2020. Also, rate and write a review on this podcast for us. It really helps us find people almost as cool as you are. Thanks for listening. Howdy, friend. Craig here. Is this episode making you realize you need to buy some models? Gadzooks Gaming is my favorite online retailer because of their large selection, killer prices, and great customer service. Don't you hate buying an entire crew box when you only need one model? Gadzooks sells crew box models individually and saves you a ton of money. They even have free shipping to the U.S. and Canada if you spend $100 or more. Swing by gadzooksgaming.com and make sure you tell them Craig from the third floor sent you. All the details are in the show notes. All right, cranking along. <clears throat> Sorry, I cleared my throat that whole entire time. Oh, yeah, dude, remember, I'm going to edit the shit out of this, so don't don't be afraid oh, to yeah, do that. Yeah, you're, you're nuts for this. I've been talking about doing podcasts for a while, and I'm just like, man, I hate computers. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's time consuming if you want to if you don't want it to sound like shit how'd that feel all right felt good felt good i'm trying to i'm trying to get my flow it's kind of my first time you're popping my cherry right now craig <laughs> so I, I i listen i listen to i listen to you all the time uh i'm a big um podcasting fan i anything foe i listen to it and i listen to it several times that's how I kind of get my competitive side going. I kind of yeah. feel everybody's meta going on. And uh, oh, cool, man! I appreciate that. Um, all right, so who are we going to probably hit on first? Um, well, I'm married, so my wife. Uh, I'll probably be <laughs> after that. Which uh, model are we going to hit? <laughs> well, uh, tot- the totem's pretty bland. Uh, the totem's uh, significant. 